0: How's everyone doing? Alive, alert, ready to roll, ready to hear the word, excited? (laughs) Thank you. Doug's excited. Excited about this new series. So, as Karis said, we are going to be doing a season on It's a Family Affair. Now, I have heard a number of people start the tune that goes with that, and I am thinking about a swear jar. (laughs) For for that tune, because it's going on a lot in our household. But it is a family affair. So, for the next five or six weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of a distant relative of us all, Abraham from the Bible. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience in life where, kind of as you're growing up, maybe people have said about you that you look like someone else in your family very easy for me. I've got a twin brother, so obviously growing up, I looked you know, a lot like my twin brother. Um, strangely, my twin brother looked much more like our grandfather. It, he was always the one who looked like my mum's um, dad when he was, maybe just a few years ago, uh, thick black glasses kind of came back into fashion. And my twin brother um, went and bought these thick black glasses. And there was kind of a, a throwback to an earlier time. And um, he went to my mum's house one time and she had this kind of weird double-take experience because as he came through the door, he looked so like her dad because he used to have these thick black glasses and her earliest memory of her dad would have been about the same age that we are. Me and my twin obviously the same age, the same age that we are now. So she had this strange moment of sort of opening the door and having to do this double-take of, who's this guy? You know, it, it, Oh, it's my son. Really strange... Moment for her, and my brother very sweetly thereafter stopped wearing those glasses around her, just because it was a sort of a strange experience for her. But I'm sure you've all had that similar experience of looking like somebody else in your family. You know, whether it's having the same eyes or the same nose or the same ears or the same sense of humour, or you know, you walk just like your uncle, whatever, or you kind of play football like so and so, or oh, you've got a great voice just like auntie, whatever. No one said that about me, Um, but you know, people might have said about you, you've got a great voice or whatever it might be, that kind of family likeness. So I wondered if you wanted to see a picture of some of my family likenesses. Would you like to see a picture of a family likeness that's going on with me? Okay, so let's just see. Ah, oh. Oh. Oh, yes, like father, like son. So the other day, I was coming to the end of a tube of toothpaste, as you do, and uh, I don't know if you're like this at all. You get towards the end, and there's that feeling that there's, there's always a little bit more toothpaste left in the tube. You guys know that, right? And you get into it, and Karis gives me such a hard time about this. She's like, are you ready to open a new tube? I'm like, well, no, let's not rush into this one. Let's, let's just a little bit more here. Squeeze the last bit out. And brushing your teeth at bedtime starts to take longer and longer because you're trying to like, get the toothpaste out. And I, I'm not that bad, but I had this moment the other day where I thought, "Hey, you know what I'm going to do? Maybe my dad's onto something." So on the left is my dad's toothpaste. You can tell he buys the posh brand, and uh, he squeezes it up and he puts a little, you know, food sealer clip on it to to keep it going and keep it all neat and smooth. And I was just getting to the end, and I thought, hey, you know what? I just it amused me, right? I'm not really this much of a, a geek. And I thought, hey, maybe Dad's onto something. So I, I clipped it, and I took a photo and sent it around to my brothers and just said, hey, you know, chip off the old block and all of this. Because we all, as you do, three boys growing up, we all give each other a hard time about who is becoming most like Dad the soonest, right? So I'm like, hey, hands up on this one. It's me. So there you go. that's the, the Doherty way of doing things. But Abraham is a great role model for us all because he is the Bible says he is the father of everyone who believes, of everyone who has faith, everyone who believes in God to put us right with him, who believes in Jesus. Abraham's a father for each one of us. So all of us, in some measure, should carry a family likeness. And as we go on through this series about Abraham, we'll see so many things in the life of Abraham that are just awesome, that we want to be like. You know, sometimes when somebody says there's a family likeness, you're like, ah, that's cool. You know, I've always admired that about so-and-so. You're like, oh, I want to grow up to be like Dad. And sometimes when someone says, oh, you've got your dad's sense of humor, you're like, oh, not that family likeness. You know, I could, have, I could have done with any family likeness, but that one. And there's certain things in Abraham's life where actually we recognize as a family likeness, stuff that he struggled with that was a challenge to him that we can see sometimes in our own lives as well. And I think there's some opportunities to really learn from that Not to put Abraham down, but to lift us up. So we're going to spend a few weeks looking at this together. And really just to kind of kick us off this morning, I want to canter through the life of Abraham. Some of you will have read his story before. Some of you won't know him so well. And as we're doing this in sort of Sundays together, we'll be following it up in cell groups as well. Let me really encourage you, like read through. So Genesis chapter 12 um, and onwards through to like, 23, I think, is towards the end of his life. Um, read that yourself. Some great stories and examples in there. Great content. And so I just want to kind of canter through the first few years uh, of, of his life and his story that we get recorded in, in the Bible, say, from Genesis chapter 12 onwards. And we're going to try and do it a bit different. We're going to do um, Abraham in numbers. Uh, some of you guys know I work in a bank. And uh, I like a good number. I like a good... When Leo was known to count, he used to say to me sometimes, Hey, Dad, what's your favorite number? And I'd be like, I don't know. But we're going to do Abraham in numbers, okay? So the first number that I want to introduce you to in the life of Abraham in numbers is the number 75. So, Abraham was 75 years old in, this, in the start of this story in Genesis when God called him out of the land where he was living. And at the age of 75, he went off on this adventure with God. He left. He took his wife, Sarai, and he took his nephew, Lot. He took their possessions and he traveled away from the land where he had been living, where he'd been living with his family, his whole household. God called him out of there and said, Hey, come on an adventure with me. And so, Abraham traveled at the age of 75. And so, there's a great example there just to kick off, you know, hey, Most of us are under 75, and uh, so it's never too late to have an adventure in God. Some people might have said, oh, at the age of 75, you know, that's when you should settle down and, you know, chill and enjoy your retirement stuff. Abraham's like, hey, 75, I'm just getting going. Let's go on this adventure in God. So off he goes, and he goes to a land that God's going to show him. But as he goes there, he faces various obstacles and kind of challenges along the way, and the next number is a half, because Abraham gets into some difficulty when he tells a half-truth. As he travels, he ends up in the land of Egypt to avoid a famine. And his wife, Sarah, Sarah she became known, is very beautiful. And Abraham is worried. He thinks that the Egyptians are going to kill him so that Sarah is free to remarry. And then they'll force her into a marriage with one of the local guys. So he says, hey, when we get to Egypt, will you pretend that you're my sister? And then because everyone will think we're brother and sister, they'll treat me really well and they'll treat you well. And we won't be in danger in that land. Now, in in fact, we learn later in the Bible, they are half-brother or half-sister, depending on how you interpret a particular word, but they are blood relatives. And so it's sort of a half-truth. And so he ends up telling this um, half-truth, half-lie story to the guys in Egypt. And it gets him into a bit of a mess. God bails him out of that one and takes him back into the land of Israel, where he settles for a period. He goes back to Israel with Lot, his nephew, Sarah, his wife, and at that point, the Bible says he becomes really wealthy. That comes to number two, because Abraham and Lot both go back to the land, two men living together in the land, wealthy, multiplying in livestock, silver, and gold, the Bible says. And so, so much uh, is the kind of their estate and their possessions and their flocks and their herds that the, the shepherds who are looking after their flocks start to quarrel. And clash into each other and fight over how much land each kind of flock needs. And hey, this is my patch. Hey, this is my turf. And they fall into this conflict. Two men, one land. So Abraham says to Lot, hey, let's divide the land between us. And this is just a great insight into what Abraham was like, his character. He said, Lot, you choose. They go up to this mountain. They look out over the land. And they say, Lot, you choose. You pick whichever side of the the land you want to go on. And you can have that choice. Of course, Abraham must have known how that would go. Lot's going to pick the area that looks all fertile and lush and beautiful. And it leaves Uncle Abraham with area that doesn't look so good. But they separate. The two men go their separate ways for a period. But we're not done because the next pair of numbers is four versus five. And the next story we come across is where five kings from the area where Lot settles and if you imagine a map of the Middle East and where Israel is on the left hand side five kings from that area rebel against the military superpowers of the day four kings who had an alliance from the other side of the map and they go out and they fight them five kings against four go out to fight and on the one hand you would think that the five kings are going to have the victory here but the four kings come from bigger territories with bigger armies and they win they win through Now, unfortunately, if you were listening a minute ago, you'd have heard me say that the five kings came from the area where Lot was living. So his territory is on the losing side, and it doesn't go so well for him. He gets carried off, presumably as a slave, to be with those four kings going back across to the other side of their territory. And he's carried off. But word of this reaches Abraham. Now, on the one hand... Abraham has said, right, we'll divide the land. They go their separate ways. Lot's got the nicer territory. Abraham's set in a territory that's maybe not so nice. You could potentially forgive Abraham for kind of going, Egh. well, he chose his area. Didn't go so well for him. But, you know, that was his choice, and these things happen, and I'm just going to stay here and farm and settle and do my thing over here. But that's just not how Abraham rules. That is not what he's like. He says, saddle up. So he calls his trained men, 318 men from his household, and says, we're going to go and we're going to rescue Lot and his possessions. We're going to ride out and get this guy back and bring him back to where he should be. So they travel. It's something like more than 200 miles that he travels until he catches up with the guys who had taken Lot. So you know, It's from here to, uh, from, from here to Oxford or something like that on camel or horseback or foot or whatever it was. So a number of days of journeying at pace to catch up with where they got to. But he chases and pursues his nephew, his nearest living blood relative, to say, hey, I'm going to rescue you back. I'm not going to let you be carried off as a slave into another territory. Four kings versus five, but Abraham's not happy to let it go at that. And do you know what? He catches up with those four kings who were victorious. Four kings beat off five kings, but they couldn't beat Abraham. Abraham gives them a pasting. (laughs) Gives them a right good kicking. And he brings Lot and all the possessions back. And he, br- he becomes, at that point, he was wealthy before. Now he's just beat four kings from the other side of the Middle East. And he brings all of the possessions back. And he's increased further and further in wealth. But that's when we come to our next number, a one-tenth. It's the first time we read about a tithe, as we call it in church today in the Bible. One-tenth. Abraham has all this stuff that he's won through in battle, his conquest, what he's won the victory for. But he looks at it and he says, I'm going to give 10% of that back to God. Because he recognizes throughout his whole life, success only came from God. Any military success he had, any success in farming, any success in business, all came from God. And so he has this encounter with a priest at the time, a guy called Melchizedek. And he says, I'm going to give all of this 10% back over to you. And actually what he's left with, he looks at and he says, anything that the guys from the area of Solomon Gomorrah might have belonged to them I'm going to give it back to them because I'm not prepared for human beings to say that they made me rich my wealth comes from God that's the kind of attitude he carried just giving away, giving away, giving away all recognising that it came from God trying to remember the next number ah yes that's right, it's a big fat zero so here we are at a point in life Abraham's doing pretty well right he's wealthy His business is going well. He's got influence. Everybody's being very, very polite to him after he gave those other kings a good pasting. Very polite. He's rolling in all the right circles. He's got a rocking spiritual relationship with God. He's heard God speak to him a few times. He's built some altars. He's given some tithes, some offerings. He's an upstanding member of the Christian community in Israel as it was at the time. But he has this problem. No children. And he takes it before God. And we're going to come back to this in a bit and really draw some more from this story. But he prays out to God. He says, God, what is the point of all of this? I've got no children to pass my estate onto. Nothing, nada, nil, nout. Count them on the fingers of no hands. No children. So what is the point of all of this? But God speaks again. And For me, there's a slightly different aspect to this encounter. I think previously, we we get the sense that Abraham had heard God speaking to him. But this time, we hear that God appears to Abraham in a vision. It's like he sees something of God. And there's a whole load of stuff about how God opens Abraham's eyes to see something really spectacular. And he takes him outside from his tent. And the next number is 5,000. The scientists think that if on a... On a clear night from a dark place without the kind of light pollution you have in a city like Newcastle, the human eye, the naked eye, could probably see around 5,000 stars in the sky. So that's probably about how many stars Abraham was, was able to see with his, with his bare eyes at that time. The, the numbers vary, and if you're a geek, you can go and look at this, and I am a geek, so I did look at this. But um, I think there's something like a, I think it's a septillion, which is one with 24 zeros after it, is how many stars you might expect to see if you had the right kind of telescopic equipment if you went out. So that is a, there's some big numbers, and I don't really know how big a septillion is, and I couldn't really think of a way to do it. So 5,000, you know, you'll have to put up with me on, on that one. But 5,000 stars at least is what Abraham would have been able to see. God takes him outside and says, yeah, I know you don't have any, children at the moment but you will have descendants as many and as numerous as the stars in the sky and it's what he sees that defines some of the rest of his life and the way he is with God and how he goes goes ahead in life. I think the next number is the number three. Two's company, three's a crowd. crowd. So Abraham receives this promise from God and even though he's received it in faith there's nothing happening between him and Sarah, his wife. So Sarah has this idea. She says, well, God gave you the promise, didn't he, Abraham? Why don't you sleep with my maid, my, my slave girl, Hagar, and see what happens, and we'll just say that that's our family. Maybe that's what God had in mind. Maybe God was going to produce the family through this slave girl. Two's company, three really was a crowd. So Hagar gets pregnant. She starts being difficult with Sarah, Sarah starts being difficult with her. Abraham has two wives, double trouble. And, and Hagar, bless her, runs away. She, it's really not an easy situation for her, but God's merciful to her. It's a really sweet encounter that she has with God in the desert. He really, you know, She's just kind of caught up in the midst of this. God's really tender with her and speaks kindly to her, actually, um, and brings her back. So he, he says, hey, don't run away. Come back to Abraham's tent. So there they all are, and you know, it's this kind of... Slightly interesting family dynamic going on at that time. Abraham's 86 at that point in time when, um, when Ishmael, his son, through Hagar is born. But we're not done because there's another number. And the number is, wait, don't help me. I'm going to get it. Hagar 3, 99. Is that right? Yes. Okay. It's all in here somewhere. 99. Abraham, when he's 99 years old, God comes and speaks to him again and God says to him in a year's time in about a year's time you will have a son and to kind of confirm how serious God is about it and how you know we're just nearly at that point where the son's going to happen God says Abraham I'm going to change your name until now you've been known as Abram but now you're going to be called Abraham with a huh in it and Sarah was known as Sarah but she's going to be called Sarah and there's great significance in those names in the Bible, great significance in names. And we're going to come back to that topic in a few weeks' time and really learn what, what God would teach us from that as well. Name change at the name uh, at the age of, of 99. And on he goes until we get to one. Because about a year after God speaks to him, he does have a son. He does have Isaac. And the promise starts to be fulfilled. So we'll probably pause with the canter through the life of Abraham there. Everybody with me? Everybody awake? Okay. I want to come back to this passage in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. So feel free to flick there with me. If you've got a flicky Bible, if you've got a tappy Bible, tap there with me, uh, and we should have it up on the, the screens as well. Abraham impresses me with these two Characteristics of his focus, his perspective, his attitude in his thinking. Last few weeks, Pastor Clive's been talking a lot about thinking, what goes on up here. Abraham's remarkable. We just see it time and time and time again in his life and how he responds in situations. He's got great thinking. Two things that I really admire and see in him is that his thinking and his direction, his focus is outward and upward. So join with me. Come on, let's just make sure everybody's awake. So go outward. Make sure you hit your neighbor gently, okay, okay, and then go upward, breathe through your nose, see what you get, well, not too bad, okay, outward and upward, that's how Abraham is, he's outward focused and he's upward focused, so I want to read this passage from um, chapter 15, and do read along with me. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man won't be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Then God took him outside and said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Hey, let's pray. We haven't prayed yet. I'd love to just ask God to come. Father, I pray right now that you will come by your presence, by your Holy Spirit, and illuminate these scriptures to us. Speak life to us this morning. Speak outward focus to us this morning. Speak upward focus to us this morning. Help us. Help us draw life from this. Amen. Amen. So... I paused on this earlier. I said, you know, this is where Abraham is in life. In Genesis chapter 15, we've read that he is very wealthy. He's become wealthy in livestock. He's become wealthy in silver and gold. He's doing great. He's just in Genesis 14 is when he went out to war and he fought off these other kings, gave the tithe. Everything's going great in his wealth, in his spiritual life. He's got this incredible connection with God in the spirit. And yet, as he's praying out about it, he says, but God, what is the point of all of this? What is the point of me having this estate? It's an incredible word, this estate, this legacy, this, all this stuff that I see in front of me because I don't have a son from my own body. And the one who's going to inherit it is Eliezer of Damascus. He doesn't look like me. There's no family like He's a good guy, God, but he's not my guy. He's a good man, but he's not my man. He's a good-looking guy, but he doesn't look like me. God, what is the point of this if I don't have a son from my own body to pass all of this on to? And one of the first things that really struck me in that was just a provocation about what does that look like in the prayer life of the church? You know, that's the prayer life and the prayers and the heart of Abraham as he comes before God. God, forget about this estate that I've got, all this stuff around me. God, what, what about passing it on? Just wonder what that looks like in the prayers of the church today. Is that how we come to God? Often we come to God and we're like, God, will you help me build my estate? God, will you help me build wealth in livestock and cattle? God, will you grow my silver and gold? God, will you build my career? God, will you help me today? God, will you help me feel peace today? God, will you help me not feel stressed today? Now, isn't that the echo of the prayers of the church sometimes? But if Abraham was living here right now, I'm sure he'd be praying like this, God, who am I going to give my wealth away to today? Who am I going to give peace to today? God, help me see the person who needs lifting up today. Help me see whose career it is that needs encouragement. Help me see who it is that needs helping their studies or, you know, shaping in, in their work. Isn't that how Abraham would have gone before God and prayed? Because he knew he wasn't looking in at his estate, what he could gather, what he could get in to himself. He was looking outward at what he could give away to others. A few Weeks ago, Pastor Clive was sharing this story of his, of his own dad, Charles Harding, who is the grandfather of my wife and the great grandfather of my own children. At the age of 22, Charles Harding uh, was called to serve in World War II, and he fought, he was a commando at Dunkirk. And he was put in actually behind the British troops, between the um, evacuating Allied troops and, and the oncoming um, Axis armies. And his job was to hold the line with the other guys in his troop or platoon or whatever they would have had. But his job was to hold the line. At the age of 22, that was the situation he was put into. I was listening to this and I was thinking, what a legacy. What a legacy. At the age of 22, I was thinking, what was I doing at the age of 22? Some years ago now, you know, I look back and I think, oh, color me spoiled. I just, I didn't have a clue to imagine being 22 years old and called up and the the call is to say, not can I get out of here, can I survive, can I get back home, but can I give them enough time to get home? Can I buy them a few more hours to get out of, I mean, 22 years old, what a legacy. And I heard that and I thought, God. God, that I could rise up in this generation and be the same kind of spirit and attitude. Not, God, it's a bit hard being in a church sometimes, but what can I give? What can I give into this generation? What can I sow into those around me? And if the thought of going to war is a bit abstract or distant from us, there's another guy that I hugely admire called Brian Burney. Some of you will have heard of him. He's a businessman. I think he ran a number of businesses in the UK. He came from Newcastle, and the last business he had before he retired was Doxford Hall, uh, just up near Annick. And in 2010, he sold Doxford Hall for 16 million pounds and invested all of that into a charity. The whole lot. He set up a charity called Daft as a Brush, which... I just think it's brilliant, right? So you may have seen the, the, this um, hospital transport for cancer patients. And the vehicles they have are somewhere between a sort of a, a, a posh taxi and an ambulance, sort of a crossover, um, with a driver in front and a care worker in back to help people who are going through really difficult cancer treatment um, to get to the hospital, just to take one more thing to worry about away from them. He just had this idea, what can I do? What You know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medic, I can't... There's other people working on cures for cancer. What can I do in this region? So he ploughed all of whatever, 16 million pounds, back into that that charity to create a way. And he moved, you can just see, he moved from Doxford Hall, lovely, stately home, into a terraced house in Morpeth. Now, Morpeth's nice. (laughs) You know, I like Morpeth as much as the next guy. But that is quite a change of address. He's not a Christian. He's probably what you would call a a God-fearer. Believes in God, believes he's going to meet with the Lord and give an account for his life. But I don't think he would say that he was trusting in Jesus for his salvation. But that's what was in him. I've made my money. Most people give it away when they die, right? From that kind of, if you've made a fortune, that's maybe the normal way of doing things. He's quite a long way from death. He's a very energetic individual. One of the guys I work with is a trustee in the charity. That's how I've kind of come across his story. Um, Ferocious work ethic. And, uh, oh yeah, this is his quote. My accountant thinks I'm mad. But as my mother said, you can only sleep in one bed at a time and only drive one car and other people are in terrible need. Now there is a guy who carries the spirit of Abraham. Not what can I get, but God, what can I give? It's an incredible, incredible story. I love. He's just a really practical, honest, hardworking guy. He says the name Daft as a Brush was my idea. Uh, his wife doesn't like it particularly, and uh, and he said, you know, all of those other names for, for charities—they're all so dreary and cancerish. I wanted something a bit more cheerful. So I've no—I hadn't really liked the name until I read that quote, and I thought, well, okay, fair enough. He's onto something with this. What an attitude! outward 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 and you may feel you know you might feel you might never be called up to a service in our country please god you might feel that you don't have 16 million pounds to give away if you do come see me afterwards and we can have some ideas you might feel that you don't have that kind of you know well, what 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 do i do with these stories of 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 laying being prepared to lay down a life or giving away huge sums of money we've got something better When we receive the gospel for what it really is, the hope of God for the world, God's plan to change the world from where it is right now into a place where there's faith, love, life, laughter, joy, relationship, God's plan, God's way of doing those things, that is better than 16 million pounds. And we've all got that, and we can all give that away. I heard this great story of another great hero of mine, Pastor Cesar Castellanos. You, many of you will know. I'm sure I've talked about him before. Um, he's Karis' brother's father-in-law. So he's a pastor in Colombia. And I heard this story about him after a convention, a really successful conference. They'd seen a great number of people coming, um, great number of people kind of changed and impacted by what God was doing in the time. They gathered together. And he went out for dinner afterwards with a bunch of other pastors and there was a sort of a celebratory mood. They were laughing and joking about, you know, it was just great. What a great time they had, how much God had been moving in people's lives. There was a great atmosphere around. They felt to, kind of, as they were coming out of the restaurant, they fell to talking about holidays and, hey, you know, it's great to be together. We should all go on holiday We should get our families together. We should all, you know, have a big family holiday and go to Disney together. And the pastors were all talking about this. And then somebody noticed that Pastor Caesar wasn't there. And they sort of were looking around, oh, where, oh where's Pastor Sees gone? And they noticed that he's kind of crossed the road and leaning up against a lamppost on the other side of the road is the, one of the waiters from the restaurant having a crafty tab. And Pastor Caesar's has wandered over. He's kind of left all this fun and conversation and chat about going on holiday to Disney. And he's gone over to this guy and he's just asking, hey, what's going on with you? You know, what do you believe about life? How's, how's your family? Do you believe in God? What, what do you want to see God do in your life? Whatever question he asking, he was starting to share with him the truth about God. starting to share with him hope for the young man's future. Hope for his life. Hope for change. Hope for salvation. Forget about the, you know, party and chatting on about Disney. Nothing wrong with that. But there's a young guy over there and he needs something. And, I've, and Pastor Caesar's attitude is, I've got something in me. I've got something great to give away. So that's exactly what he did. And anyone... Can do that and that's that's just something that you know I want to be of that same heart that same spirit not what can I get but what can I give what's in me that I can give away because that's how Abraham looked at the world he wanted that next generation focused on that next generation and it's a challenge for the church today I really believe it's a challenge for the church today to live differently we live in a generation that expects things to come to us We expect to live like Dyson vacuum cleaners and have, you know, all the good things of life and the environment and just kind of, you know, sucking in towards us. But actually, the challenge of Abraham's life and lifestyle isn't that I should be saying, God, I want church to come to me, you know, or I'm not sure if I can get to church this morning. It's a bit odd. The challenge should be, God, who am I going to take with me to the cell group? Who am I going to take with me to the meeting? Who am I going to encourage to get into prayer, you know, as I go through work, not, oh, it's just all this negative talk in the atmosphere and it's just a bit difficult and I'm going to become negative as well. But what can I put into this atmosphere? What can I sow out of myself into the culture and the environment at the office that's good, that's positive, that speaks of the hope of God in my life? What can I give out of myself? Outward. That's how Abraham lived. And the second thing is upward. 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 See, in verse 5, God starts to speak to Abraham and says, hey, come out of your tent. Come out. Look up at the stars. Abraham looks up and he sees the stars in the sky and he believes. And we read, he says, he believed God and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. It's an incredible thing that Abraham's focus wasn't on himself. His focus was in believing God. You know, I think the temptation could have been, to a man of that success and stature, to look at what he'd done so far in life and say, Well, you know, I won a victory in battle. I was successful in business. I grew my cattle. I grew some herds. I've traveled. I've, you know, negotiated in this affair and that affair. And he could have looked at himself. You know, we could have read, Well, Abraham wasn't having a son, but he trusted himself. Abraham believed in Abraham. He backed himself to get the job done. But he, that's not how he was. Something in Abraham's spirit was just looking up to God and saying, hey, I can't do this on my own. God speaks, I'll do this. And I think I see that time and time again in Abraham's life and attitude as he recognizes that, you know, the victories, the battles, the business, the wealth, he recognizes none of it came from him or who he was or what he was like or how good a person he was. He recognizes it all came as a gift from God. And so when he's in that situation of saying, God, I... You know, what about this son? What about the next generation? What about the next heirs coming after me? He's just carrying the same attitude of saying, God, I believe this is going to come from you as well. He's looking upward to God to do those things for him. Again, what a profound challenge for the church to be those who see what goes on in the world and see what goes on in our lives believe that the only place where we see breakthrough, help and change from that is coming upward. So two great attitudes from Abraham's life. And as we close, I want to give everybody here something to really just help us practically live more like Abraham every day. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Can you imagine what an impact that would make on the world around us? Just on this city, if every person in this room, went and lived outward and upward. Can you imagine what an impact that would make on the UK if everybody going to every church this morning lived outward and upward? We would make the change in this nation. So let's start where we are. And to help us do this, I'm just going to get one of these up. Oh, thank That's not what I had in mind. And so that you can be more efficient in your use of toothpaste... I've got some little clips here for everybody. And so I want you to put it, now you might put it on your toothpaste like me. You might put it on your cereal. You might put it on your bread. You might put it on your raisin. There's so many practical uses. How do we live without Ikea? Wherever you put this, hey, if you put it on your toothpaste twice a day, you'll think of this. You'll pick up your, twice a day. (laughs) At least. You'll pick it up, you'll pick up your toothpaste and you'll say, God, help me live outward. God, help me live upward. And if we do that at least twice a day, I bet you it'll be good for you. Maybe you'll have to see your dentist less often. (laughs) At the very least. But I believe if we do this, and if we mean that prayer, and if we change our perspective, God will come and close the gap. You'll be amazed at what happens. So, I'm going to ask my helpers to pass these out. Those things are amazing, by the way. You know, have you ever noticed how I, I find with those clippers, it's either feast or famine? Have you noticed that? Like, I, either there's none in the cupboard where you expect them to be, or then you'll, be, op- you'll open a random drawer in, like, the garage or something, and there'll be three in a corner. Does anyone else have that? that yeah, okay. And people with children, I think. Beautiful hair clips as well, should you so desire. Yeah, practical and stylish. (laughs) What what I hadn't banked on was the kind of castanet-esque noise coming from the hall this morning. This is—it's very musical. And you'll get us doing something with it next week, I'm sure. All right, I'm sure there'll be spares. You can grab some from Lil and Doug later. So for now, let's pray. Shall we stand? And, you know, my encouragement, practically speaking, right? Genesis chapter 12 uh, and, and onwards on about 23, something like that. And... And as you grab your toothpaste or open your bread or cereal, whatever it is, any clicker you come across, make that prayer. God, help me live outwards. God, help me live upward. Father, I thank you for Abraham's life. I thank you for the example he is, for that family likeness we all long to bear of a great attitude towards you, of living outward, out of ourselves, giving it all away, and upwards, trusting you to do great things in our lives, trusting you as the giver of all things and the giver of all promises. Father, I pray for your church that we will live more and more like Abraham as we go through this time. Amen. 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 Well, we got two in one this morning, a great word and a great resource. So, I'm hoping that next week everyone's toothpaste is going to have lasted the entire week. That's the end of our meeting. Um, thank you so much for being a part of it this morning. If you have children, please don't forget to pick up your children. They are very important. Um, you know where to go. And do stick around. Don't just